My name is Heath. For those of you who I may not have met, um, I am a family member here at the Refuge. My wife and son and I have been coming here since about 2017. And I'm um, also one of the blue shirts, so hopefully I've met you as you've walked in the door um, uh, at some point. Um, a couple of months back, uh, Paul McDade, who was up here earlier, was preaching, and he, he actually referred to himself as the backup preacher. Um, and so uh, you see we have four elders and one elder, kind of almost elder, elder-ish. Uh, so that would be five elders. So there, it kind of makes me like the sixth man. So I'm the first person off the bench uh, when the elders are, aren't uh, available or have other plans, if you will. So if you're visiting with us this morning, um, you have to come back, right? Because... I'm the back. I'm not even the backup. I'm like the the bench warmer. And um, so, if if it's pretty mediocre, you got to give the uh, elders a chance. Uh, if you think, hey, it was okay, then that man just wait till the elders uh, get here. Um, all kidding aside, uh, we're very very happy that you've joined us this morning um, and are here to worship with us. Um, we practice expository preaching um, here at the refuge. Um, that is just taking the Bible book by book, verse by work, verse, and just diving in. Uh, with that said, if you don't have a Bible this morning, if you would just raise your hand, um, and our blue shirts will be happy to, uh, to give you one of those, to give you a Bible. If you forgot your Bible, don't, don't be shy. Um, that is your, uh, free. It's yours to take um, if you would like it. Um, so we're going to continue in the book of Acts this morning. Uh, we are going to be in Acts chapter 10. And uh, we're going to take the first 16 verses. Uh, so you can go ahead and find that. But before we read it, before we dive into that, um, I really want to just take a step back. And as I've prepared this week and studied, I want to take a step back and kind of paint a picture that will tell us how we got to where we are. So how did we get to Acts chapter 10? Um, so first thing I want to do is... Uh, let's give us a time reference, okay? So if you remember uh, the day of Pentecost, right? The day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and Peter uh, stood up and preached. And if you remember, he, he preached to repent, to be baptized, and 3,000 souls were added that day. Um, we don't get specific timelines in Luke, but from everything that I've read and studied, we are about eight to ten years after the day of Pentecost. Okay, so just to give everybody a reference on where we are time, um, we're going to stick with eight years, at least eight years after the day of Pentecost. Um, Peter had continued to preach boldly and to share the gospel message in the name of Jesus Christ. We just saw in chapter 9 last week with the healing of Aeneas... And then the, he raised Dorcas from the dead. That obviously Peter had been preaching and sharing the gospel. But something else we need to understand and realize is that he was preaching and sharing the gospel with Jews. Okay? Um, all of the early Christians were Jewish. That was who the disciples specifically were preaching to. That's who they were taking the message of the gospel to, okay? So we have our time reference. We understand that, that all of the early Christians were Jews. So there's also something we need to understand is that there were really considered two races at the time. You were Jewish 
or you were a Gentile, okay? So we have, we have Jews and Gentiles, all right? The Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. They did not associate with one another. I was trying to think of a good reference, okay? So a good reference for that would be if, if Scott Benjamin and his family on Thanksgiving Day decided to go have dinner at an Ole Miss Booster's house. It's not going to happen because they're not going to get along. If, if, it, it's kind of like if Congress invited Oliver Anthony to come sing at the State of the Union next year. It's probably not going to happen, right? Jews and Gentiles did not get along. The Jews were raised under Jewish law. Jewish rules and Jewish, law, Jewish laws were ingrained in them from the time they were children. The tensions between Jews and Gentiles were real, could be compared probably to a lot of tensions we see today. They followed a strict kosher diet. You still hear that today. You see that in stores, kosher diets. Um, they would consider certain things clean or unclean. Certain animals would be considered unclean. People, Gentiles, were considered unclean. The, an example, so a Jewish person, person would not dare step foot in a Gentile's home, much less share a meal with them, because they would have had something unclean in that home, therefore it would have made them unclean. They would not, if, if a Jewish person had touched a dead body, they would have to go through a ceremony to cleanse them. Jews basically looked at Gentiles as those who were put on earth to fill hell. That's kind of, kind of blunt, but that's really how it was. So if we, we see that all the early Christians were Jews, and as Jews were being saved, they were under this belief that the Messiah came to save them. He was the king of the Jews. He came to save Jews. These Christian Jews, a lot of times, were still going to temple. They were still observing many Jewish customs because, again, it had been ingrained in them from the time they were little. It was all they ever knew. If you go back um, and look at chapter 8, so we take a little step further back and look at chapter 8, okay? Do you remember we saw Philip? He went where? Come on, where'd he go? Samaria, right? He went to Samaria to take the gospel to the Samaritans. All right? Do you understand that Jews and Samaritans did not get along? They didn't like each other. Samaritans were half Jewish. So they had, they had married outside of the Jewish um, race. So they were, a lot of times in, some, in Samaria, were married to Assyrians. But what happened? Philip went, he took the gospel to the Samaritans. They repented, they believed. Peter and John showed up, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And so if you're a Jew at that time and you're looking at it and, and you've got all these beliefs, I guess you're, you're probably going, okay, well, they're half Jewish, so he must have came to save them too, okay? So then we, we go a little bit further into chapter 8. And we have the Ethiopian eunuch. Again, Philip 
comes up to the eunuch. If you, if you remember, or if you understand what a eunuch was, what the Ethiopian eunuch was, he was not born Jewish, but had converted to Judaism. So if he had fully converted, that meant that he had fully converted to the Jewish uh, law. He was following all the Jewish customs. He was following a kosher diet. He was all the ceremonies. He was basically a convert to Judaism. And what happened with the eunuch? He repented. He believed. He was baptized. So if you're a Jew at that point and you see the Samaritans who are half Jewish and then you've got this, this eunuch who was a convert, you're going, well, I guess God came, he came to save them too, right? Because he converted to Judaism. And then you have Paul. So you have Paul who was born a Jew but had persecuted the Christians. He was the persecutor of Christians. And he's converted in chapter 9. And so as we're following the story and this, this beautiful picture that's being painted, we now see someone who was born Jewish but had absolutely persecuted Christians being saved, repenting and believed and baptized. So we know Paul had, is to become the great missionary. He is the great missionary to the Gentiles, but he had been sent away. And so that brings us where we land this morning in Acts chapter 10. So if you turn with me in your Bibles. We'll start in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven.
The story of Cornelius. This story cannot be overlooked. The importance of this story. So this, this story is the longest single narrative in the book of Acts. We'll see it in Acts 10. We'll see it again in Acts 11. And then again in Acts 15. Just judging by the sheer amount of space that Luke gives the story, we have to realize that we're dealing with something that is basically a turning point in the story of redemption. It's a turning point if you're a Gentile, which I would assume the majority of us in this room are. So if you remember last week, uh, we looked at a map, and it, it says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius. So we look here, we see where Caesarea is in relation to Joppa. It's on the sea. It was also known as Caesarea by the sea. It's about 31 miles north of Joppa. It was the seat of the Roman government in Judea. Cornelius is a centurion. A centurion is a commander of about a, of 100 men. A cohort was made up. It was 600 men, so it was basically six centurions and their regiment. Centurions would have been considered very prominent. They were very wealthy. They were very uh, highly looked upon within the Roman world. It says that he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He would have been identified by the Jews as a God-fearer. A God-fearer would be a Gentile who believed and worshipped Israel's God, but had not submitted to the Jewish rituals. It says not only him, but his entire household. So Cornelius is following the expressions of the Jewish faith. He gives to the poor. He prays. Not only praying, but it says that he continually prays. You see, by, by all accounts, Cornelius was a good man. A career officer, a military leader, a man of great influence, especially within his household. He would have been respected by the Jews, but still considered unclean. By all outward observations, he was a very upstanding man. In America today we would probably look at Cornelius and he would pass as a Christian. Probably a Christian of the highest degree. But guess what? He wasn't a Christian. Cornelius had never heard the gospel. Cornelius had never repented. He had never received the saving grace of Jesus. He was a good person on his outward appearance to society, right? But guess what? Good people don't go to heaven. So many in our society today live under this misconception that if they are good, they'll go to heaven. If they've done 
good things or they've done enough that they'll get to heaven. If this, if this is the only thing you hear me say today, you need to hear this. You can never do enough on your own to get to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven because there are no good people. It's only through the saving grace of Jesus Christ that you get to heaven. Sinners saved by grace go to heaven, but not good people. We follow on. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. It's the ninth hour of the day, which would have been around three o'clock in the afternoon, which was a set time for prayer for the Jews. And an angel appears to Cornelius, and he is praying. We know that he's praying because if you look ahead to verse 30, he tells Peter, while I was praying. So we know this is what Cornelius was doing. And he stares at him in terror. What is it, Lord? Cornelius, although he had not yet received the gospel, was still, still in fear of the Lord. Like we discussed last week, Cornelius was in awe of God. He respected the Lord, and he would have recognized the power of the Lord. It says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. His prayers and alms did not merit salvation, but they were recognized by God. Cornelius had a heart that was seeking God. And God was going to bring the gospel to him. It says Cornelius was a man of prayer. So here's a man who is not a Christian. He's not saved, but he's still a man of prayer. Think about that. Here's a sinner man, somebody on, on the, other, the wrong side of salvation who is praying continually. It leads me to the next point, and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and that is, what is your prayer life like? As I studied this week, I'm, I'm you know, almost kind of embarrassed, maybe in awe a little bit of, of how Cornelius was so devoted to prayer. It caused me to look at my own life and my own self. And, you know, what is your prayer life like? We see two references of Cornelius being a devout man of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, instructs us to pray without ceasing. Again, in, in Ephesians 6, 18, it says, pray in the Spirit at all times with every kind of prayer and petition. How are your prayers? Are they repetitious? Are you just going through the motions? Do you pray? Do you really truly recognize the fact that we get the privilege of speaking to the King of Kings? 
the angel instructs him on who to find and where to find him. And they shouldn't have any trouble finding the house uh, because really basically Simon the Tanner, his house would have stunk, all right? He's hanging up animal skins, preparing animal skins and drying them. We go back to last week and, and how Scott mentioned Simon the Tanner at the end of chapter 9, how important that is. You see, a, a Jew in that day would have considered that unclean. There is no way a Jewish person would stay with Simon the Tanner. But yet, there's Peter. And a lot of people skip over that. Don't skip over that. Man, that's important. It's so important. So Cornelius sends two servants and a devout soldier who would have also been God-fearers because it says his whole household was. And he sends them, he sends them on this 31-mile trek south to Joppa. So I have a question. So God sends an angel to talk to Cornelius. Why didn't God just use the angel to share the gospel with Cornelius. I mean, he was right there. I mean, he was aware of Cornelius, of his prayers and his alms. The angel would have been aware that he was, he was seeking God. And yes, the angel could have shared the gospel. But you see, God calls on us to share the gospel. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've been saved by grace, then we're to follow the teachings of Christ. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen, if you're waiting around for someone else to share the gospel with Aunt Susie or Uncle John or that coworker or your friend at school or your neighbor, guess what? That person is you. It's what we're called to do as Christians. God could have used the angel, but instead he uses Peter. God wants to use you. If you are saved, your job, what we're called to do is to share the gospel. So we have two servants and the soldier. They're heading to find Peter. Now God has got to prepare Peter. Pick up in verse 9, it says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again and said a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So the men are, have left, left Cornelius' house in Caesarea. They're on their way to Joppa. And the me, meanwhile, Peter is in Joppa, and he, he goes to the housetop to pray, which would have been very common in those days. The homes had a flat roof. They would have had a ladder or stairs or some way to get up there. And so Peter is he's on the roof, and he's praying. And he becomes hungry. I thought about this, like, why do you think, why didn't they just go to the vision? But it, it clearly states that he becomes hungry. It says he was praying at the sixth hour, which would have been noon. So, yeah, he's, he wants lunch. See, Peter was hungry. Peter was also still abiding by the dietary laws along with all the other ceremony law, ceremonial laws in the Mosaic Covenant. And he's hungry. He's waiting for food. He falls into a trance. Some of, some of you fall into trances here during this time. So if you're in a trance, wake up. <laughs> he sees what had to have been a remarkable sight. The sheet descending down with all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. Another version says all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds, wild beasts, creeping things. I looked up for these examples and there's a lot of them. And as I look, I try to find the ones that I thought would be best and there's that one. <laughs> it's a little more elementary. And my favorite was this. You see, Peter had never had a piece of bacon, okay? Whew, right? Peter had not had bacon. He had not had barbecue, lobster, shrimp. Then there came this voice that said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. His immediate knee-jerk reaction is, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. So just stop for a second. So you, you, how many of you heard this? How many of you heard this story or read this story before? Maybe when you're a kid. Raise your hand. Show of hands. Lights are bright. Okay, good. All right. So when you heard the story, how many of you believe it's about food? Raise your hand. Wow. Okay, couple. How many of you believe it's about people? Couple. I mean, about both, maybe. Okay. So the first time I heard this mention was about 17 or 18 years ago. And I was at a wild game dinner at Faith Baptist in Bartlett. Phil Robertson was the guest speaker. Somebody else may have been there. Okay, Phil Robertson was the guest speaker at this wild game dinner. If you don't know who he is, he's the duck commander, Okay. Doug Dynasty, beard, right? And he, he would always mention this when he would speak. 
And so I'm out there 17, 18 years ago, and I'm like, yes, if it flies, it dies. It's exactly, <laughs> this is what I went to, right? This is where my head went. And a lot of people, that's where they go. It's, where they, it's what they automatically assume when they see this or hear this preached on. I think it's both. Peter, and, I, and I'm sure many, many of the early Christians, of the early Jewish Christians, were still bound by their Jewish laws and these mosaic customs that they had been taught since they were little. They were just ingrained in them. It explains Peter's immediate response, which was, no, Lord, which is not, there are no songs that are made, no, Lord, right? There's yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, but there are no songs. That is, that is, that is not, they don't go together. I mean, compare and contra, or contrast that to Cornelius' response, which was, here I am, Lord. Cornelius, on this side of salvation, responds fearfully, here I am, Lord. Peter, on this side of salvation, says, no, Lord. Peter was bound by the Mosaic laws. He's eight years past the day of Pentecost, and he's still looking at clean and unclean distinctions. He's following dietary laws, along with other ceremonial laws. Sacrifices, festivals. The Messiah had come and made the ultimate sacrifice. And by doing that, all of that was fulfilled. But you had these early Christians who were still bound by their, by their past, bound by what they had been taught. We look in Mark chapter 7. Verse 14, it says this, it says, And he called the people to him again and said to, him, to them, this is Jesus, he says, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he continues, he speaks to the disciples in verse 18, he says, And he said to them, Then, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters into his heart, since it enters not into his heart, excuse me, but into his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declares all foods clean. Jesus had spoke this. He had declared that all foods are clean. He goes on to tell Peter what God has made clean do not call common. He has to repeat it three times. Why do we repeat week after week after week the same gospel message? Because we forget. Because we've got to hear it over and over. Repetition is the key. The early Christians, the early Jews were still bound by their past. From reading in through the Bible, uh, it said this, he says, 
It says of Peter, it says, here is a man who is on, go back one, sorry. Here is a man who is on this side of the day of Pentecost. He is living in the age of grace when it makes no sense whether we eat meat or whether we don't eat meat. However, Peter is still abiding by the Mosaic system, and he is not eating anything that's ceremoniously unclean. He's sincere and he's honest about it. The Lord is teaching him that he is no longer under the Mosaic system. He's no longer under that law. He's free to eat anything he wants. But it goes further. It also means anything he considers unclean, if God made it, guess what? It's not unclean. I don't think it was just Peter. Again, I think it's all of the early Christians. They're obviously still living in their past. Unable to rid themselves of some of their teachings of their youth. Peter, here he is on the right side of salvation, but he's still holding on to things of his past. Things that he needed to free himself of in order for God to continue to use him. See, Peter is on the verge of opening the door for all of us. If you're a Gentile in this room, you should say amen. Some of us in this room today have refused to let go of things in our past. Some of us go day in and day out struggling, holding on to things like an anchor pulling behind us. Whether it's legalistic views on religion, religious views that are misguided, church hurt, that's real. Guilt from our past mistakes. Maybe it's a secret sin that you're still struggling to break free of. The weight of unforgiveness, that is something that will drag you down like an anchor to the bottom of the sea. Peter was walking on the right side of salvation, but he wasn't completely set free. God still needed to clear some junk out of the way in order to use him to open the door for the Gentiles, to use him to share the gospel. Sometimes we need to have a little surgery done on ourselves. Some things need to be surgically removed. We need to get them out and leave them behind. Cut that anchor and let it fall to the bottom of the sea. So where are you this morning? As you sit there, we see this this story beginning to unfold and this picture that this beautiful story. Maybe you're on the right side of salvation, but you are still struggling to let go of some things. Maybe you're struggling to forgive 
things from your past that you, you need to let go of. Maybe you're like Cornelius. Maybe, just maybe, you've been walking through this life, and by all accounts, you're a good person, or you feel like you're a good person, but you haven't been saved. You haven't repented, been baptized. You haven't repented and believed. Maybe you're like Cornelius. What is it this morning that you need to clean up and clear out? Or maybe it's time that you come to Jesus. Jesus.